Hi, and welcome to The Backlot. I'm Tova Leiter, moderator and director of the New York Film Academy guest lecture series. In this episode, we will take an in-depth look at one of my great guests and hear about her experience in the entertainment industry. And now, Eric Conner will take you through the highlights of this Q&A. Hi, I'm Eric Conner, senior instructor at New York Film Academy. And in this episode, we bring you Oscar-nominated writer, producer, director, Nancy Myers. I mean, I see movies, you know, like war movies and explosions and things, and, you know, I shoot people in kitchens. So I don't know what I'm complaining about. So I don't know how they do it. For close to 40 years, Nancy Myers has been one of the most reliable, successful, and popular writers in Hollywood. She put Goldie Hawn in Army Fatigues and Private Benjamin, and helped Diane Keaton learn there's more to life than work in Baby Boom. At a time when female directors were all too scarce, she helmed multiple blockbusters, including What Women Want, Something's Gotta Give, and It's Complicated. She is pretty amazing. But first and foremost, she considers herself a writer, even if everything tries to get in the way of putting words on the page. It's your job. And because we don't have a boss and we don't have a time card, it's still our job. You have to be disciplined. You just really, I've always been really disciplined. I work today from about 10 to 7. And I, you know, every time the doorbell rang or whatever, I got up and did what I have to do. But I, I come right back. And, you know, I think you must be disciplined. It's never going to get done. But if you're really trying to make your living as a writer, I think it has to be really a serious. You know Callie Corey, who wrote Thelma and Louise? I was having dinner with her a couple months ago, and we're... She was writing something, and I said, I'm just starting writing. I said, how often do you go online? She said, every 10 seconds. <laughs> and I said, me too. It's a real problem. There's just so many blogs that I love. It's so hard. But, you know, you know something like today, I don't think I even went on anything. I mean, just sometimes you get into the work. and you. But, yeah, the refrigerator is calling me at all times. <laughs> raspberries, you know. Oh, Raspberries. <laughs> Raspberries are but one of the many distractions a writer can face. But Miss Myers doesn't let writer's block get in the way of keeping the material going. The last couple days I've been kind of stuck and I've just been staying at it. Sometimes I'll get up, take a walk, I'll sit outside, feel the sun a little bit. I play tons of music when I'm writing. So sometimes what I'll do is I'll completely change the tempo of the song and I'll see how it reads with different music, and I'll never play anything really, really slow or sad or melancholy unless that's the mood of the scene. But I will change the tempo. You know, I'll do anything from, um, I was playing Jay-Z and Fred Astaire at some point today <laughs> with the same scene. I really was. You know, sometimes, or sometimes I'll put in like a Cole Porter song because the rhythm of the music and the words is so beautiful and so great that I want to see if my rhythm can fit in with it, like if that were the score. It helps. Sometimes I'll say, wow, too many words, you know? And it, sometimes I'll just test myself and see how many words I can take out and still the line stays the same. And I write a lot of words. I'm like the talkiest writer, so. For many years, Nancy Myers was part of a creative and personal team with director Charles Shire. They worked together on Baby Boom, Father of the Bride, and Irreconcilable Differences. They were a great team, but she's more than found her voice on her own. 
Well, I loved Obvi having a writing partner. I really did. For that period of time that I did it, I mean, I really, I liked it all the time. I really did. It was just great to have somebody else in the room and somebody to pitch with. Mm -hmm. And I've also really, really liked writing alone. I think I've had sort of the best of both worlds. Mm -hmm. uh, the great thing about writing with somebody is there's somebody there. You can mm -hmm. say something and, you know, we always said, just say it bad, just say the bad version of it. Mm -hmm. You know, and so the person says, all right, the bad version is she works at whatever, and you go, well, that's really bad. Said, yes, because you said, say the bad version, but you said, okay, but then you kind of see the good thing in the bad version mm -hmm. of something, right. you know, and um, I liked both. I liked both. I really did. Before diving into page one of a screenplay, Miss Myers will spend months outlining her work. To any aspiring writers listening, please listen to her advice. I outline extensively. Uh, I used to write with a partner. I used to write with my ex-husband, as you know. So we would toss things out, pitch things back and forth, and sort of just say whatever came to us, you know, take a million notes, um, turn the notes into little binders, binders into sections. <laughs> you know, it was like <laughs> he was very into the little, you know, the little section dividers, you know, dialogue. <laughs> um, and it, since I've been writing by myself uh, and not having that person to go back and forth with, I pretty much just do it on my own. I just blab into my computer, not literally. It's just this kind of blabbing, you know? Maybe he's a this, maybe she's a this, what if this? Oh, maybe it's like that thing I saw when I was in, you know, and every little thing I think of goes into this thing, and then I begin to shape that into an outline. But the outline has everything in it. It has research, it has dialogue, it has the what ifs, you know, and it just contains an enormous amount of stuff. So the outline can be 100 pages long, which is kind of where I am now and what I'm working on, the outline's well over 100 pages. Um, I would never want anyone to see it. You'd think I was crazy. There's just so much information in it. You know, even for me, I have to go through it with a highlighter, like, what the, why am I saying this 10 times? You know, it's like, so I'll highlight it and figure out what it is I'm trying to say. So now I'm at the stage where I have the big, thick outline, and I'm turning it into a screenplay. And, uh, and it's, it's, it's fun in that now I have something. You know, I have all this work that I've done. Some of the ideas are good, some are not so good. Sometimes I surprise myself with just some funny little thing I threw into a descriptive thing, and I'll say, oh, why is that buried in there? That's like the best thing on the page. Um, and then other times it's, you know, I'll write it, and it, 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 it doesn't work, you know. So you find it. You just find it as you go. So um, first draft will probably take me... Well, the outline took me about three months. This draft will probably take me two months. I'm trying to do it really faster than I've ever done it before. I, I always take about four or five months. So to get a first draft takes me about six months, generally, with the outline. And then another three or four, five months to make that into something I could show people. When writing It's Complicated, starring Meryl Streep, Alec Baldwin, and Steve Martin, Miss Myers needed this extensive process to figure out what her movie was actually about. I don't always know what the idea is, though, because like on this movie, I knew I wanted to write a movie about a woman who has an affair with her ex-husband who's married to somebody younger. So for a while I would say, a man's cheating on his young wife with his old wife. Then it was more like a divorced woman starts to have an affair with her ex-husband who's married, which is a big difference, because one movie's about him and one movie's about her. And of course, I wanted to make the movie about her. What do I care about him? <laughs> so, it wasn't until I was really deep into it that I, I, it hit me, I'm making a movie, uh, about a divorce movie. I'm making a movie about what it's like to be divorced from somebody. What's that experience like 10 years after a divorce? So 
So that's really the theme. How to, I didn't know that until I really got very deep. Maybe I was even making the movie when I realized that. <laughs> not sure. But that's really what it ultimately was about. That's my, that was my experience when I was writing that movie. That's what I was thinking about, I think. That weird relationship. You're all too young, but the weird relationship you have with somebody that you were married to and that you had kids with. It's an ongoing hell. <laughs> <laughs> Ms. Myers reminded our students that it's crucial to never show material until it's ready to be seen. No matter how impatient you get, you won't get a second chance to make that first impression. I wouldn't show it to anybody until the end. You know, I wouldn't show it to the studio. I wouldn't hand it in. So it doesn't really matter what draft it is because only I see it or a select group of people that, you know, that I trust. I've heard people say, well, I'm going to hand it in. They're going to give me notes anyway. Bad idea. You make it as good as you possibly can make it before you hand it in. You cover every single question that you have, anything any of your friends told you. And if you show it to a couple of people and, they, and a couple of people say the same thing to you, you have a problem, generally. It's like a focus group. If a couple of people say, well, she's so mean, well, then she's coming off mean. And it's maybe something you should look at. But there are dates you have to have things in by if you're being paid to write something. You kind of have to make the date or near that date. But I mean, do whatever you can work every minute of the day to get it in the best possible shape because they're only going to read it once. That's it. They're not going to read it again. Oh. And I mean, if you're not being paid oh, to write something, and you, then what's the difference how long it takes? You know, meaning that if they, they haven't given you a date, you have to have it in by. But those dates are flexible. Nobody gets them in. On the, they, <laughs> they don't. What sets Nancy Meyers' movies apart from other Hollywood products is that she puts female characters front and center. By her estimation, this actually makes it easier to get her movies made. I'm an optimist. I see oh. nobody's doing this. There's like people like me that want to go God. to the movies and like you. As much as you like the Hangover, you know, there's not... I mean, it's a different kind of movie than going to a movie yeah. that has a woman in it or has some, you know, Kate Winslet's story or Cameron's story or some female story. So no, 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 I don't worry about that. I I'm, I'm, think that's a good thing. Look at Bridesmaids, and it's so great. And I mean, where'd all these women come from? Uh, hello, they want to go to the movies. But in my case, I didn't direct a movie till I was in my 40s. So already I had made hit movies. I was a known commodity, so they felt safe with me. I wasn't your age, setting out with a brand new script and trying, it's hard. It's hard, yeah. it's hard, I know it's hard. And, and, and people often ask me, you know, how do you do I don't know, I don't know. I don't know how you get started, but it happens. Because they're hiring tons of new people to do huge movies. You know, somebody does a video and suddenly they're directing, you know, a $100 million movie. Um, so I don't know how, I'm the worst person to tell you how to get a movie into Sundance, I'm clueless. Her films might include upper-class people living in beautifully designed homes, finding love in the most unexpected ways. Just don't call her movies wish fulfillment. Wish fulfillment, I, I, I've read that in a lot of reviews of my movies and architecture porn and all this stuff. <laughs> There's nothing in the movie that you take away from it that's about that, I don't think. You take away what you can relate to and the experience. Even if you're young, you've had an ex-boyfriend or an ex-girlfriend, um, you feel you've made a life mistake. 
you try to be daring one time or you smoke pot for the first time in 20 years or there's something you can relate to, being hurt, trying to fall for somebody again, opening yourself up to somebody again. To me, those are the right. takeaway things and that's really what I'm writing about. But I don't forget that I'm making a movie. So as long as I'm gonna like, you know, build a house for Meryl Streep, I'm gonna build a nice one, you know. <laughs> the movie's not gonna be any better if she's unemployed, you know, right. and living in a, in a different kind of an environment. And I think that's kind of fun for the audience. Right. And it lets me, I think that kind of the superficial stuff allows me to write about things that um, other people don't make movies about. To me, real things that are happening to women or people, relationships. After decades of writing and producing movies, Miss Myers took the plunge and began directing. But when asked about her preferences as a storyteller, directing wasn't one of them. Because you have written, directed, and produced, do you feel that there's one that you really love the most? Um, wouldn't be directing. So we'll put that at the bottom. Okay. <laughs> uh, producing's kind of a drag. You just have to do it. Mm -hmm. And so I would guess writing. Directing is just war. It's like going to war every single day. <laughs> That's how I see it. I know you're all dying to be directors. But I think most directors would be honest with you, it's, it's a battle. There's some battle every day. Time, money, actors, weather, stuff. Just so much stuff happens every day, you can't believe it. And there's a million people that want you to accomplish something that helps them. <laughs> right? So, you know, I just sort of put blinders on. This is what I have to do today. This is what the scene's about. This is what I'm going to get. And when I see all those people with their hand signals telling me a million different things, I pretty much just don't see them. <laughs> when I was just the producer, like um, Father of the Bride, all those movies that my husband directed, I was the producer on. It's easier than being the director, that's for sure. You know, but... We worked, my husband and I, my ex-husband and I worked very closely together, and so I never felt stress-free. I never felt like, I'm, you know, I can go out to dinner now. No. You know, it was still, how, what are we doing tomorrow, and how are we going to get it? And, you know, it was still deep in the blood. So I never really have produced a movie that I didn't write or, you know, where I'm distanced from it. I would find it much more challenging to direct somebody else's movie because I would always worry about the intent. Before I got there on the first day, I would grill the writer about everything. I'd have the writer there because knowing what it's about, it's just like writing, you know? I can't write a scene unless I know what it's about. I can't just start winging it and hope I find it. This is gonna be a scene about, and then, I'll, then I can write it. Same thing with directing. I have I to know what the goal is or we'll get derailed. And I'm not saying, oh, obviously, brilliant directors, Martin Scorsese doesn't write his own movies. I'm just saying, for me, it would be hard. Nancy Myers initially focused on writing and producing while raising her children. So for her directing debut, The Parent Trap, she took her children along for the ride. Right, well, I didn't direct till, as I said, I was in my 40s, and I'd been making movies since my 20s. And that's because I had two kids, and, and I produced and wrote movies always, but I didn't direct them because, you know, that's just sort of the ultimate time suck. 
and devotion that you have to have that. And but I did direct a movie when I had an 11 year old. But you know what? I took her with me. I put her. I gave her a part in the movie. She had no interest in acting. <laughs> and I said, you know, I want you to be there because I was working with all these children her age, and I didn't want her to feel that I was, you know, favoring Lindsay or spending all this time with other kids her age. So I said, come on, it'll be fun. We're gonna go to Arrowhead. You'll be in the camp scenes, and you know. And then my older daughter became a PA on the movie. I mean, so for me, that's how I integrated it. You know, I kept them close. And I've always done that with my kids. I do believe that women tend to do two or three jobs all the time where men have the luxury of going to work. <laughs> you know, and we're always sort of, it, it, the juggling never stops, you know. Um, I mean, I sent an email on the way here to my daughter, who's now 23. Did you go to the dermatologist yet? I mean, you know, a mother's job, it never, never ends. It just never ends. You, you know what it's like when you're directing a movie and you have little kids. It's a lot. So I don't know. But my mantra is, you have to figure out what's right for you. For me, it was right at a certain point. It wasn't right any earlier than that. My kids always loved coming to the set, though. It was really fun. They didn't really love the set that much. They liked the trailer. <laughs> and they liked the golf carts, you know, that they could ride. Being on the set and watching wasn't that much fun. Whatever hesitation Miss Myers might have had about directing, her films clearly show her skill with actors. I think really good actors want direction. They don't always act like they want to be directed, but I think they want to be directed. I think it's actually, I think everybody does. I was going to make some dumb analysis, something like, oh, the less good actors don't. No, that's not true. I think they all do. I think they all want direction. And, uh, I think the really good ones have a magic to it that I can't give them. They come with that. But I think that the discussion that we have in, in, when I'm directing them, when I'm explaining something to them, and how they take that in and then how they give that back to me is on a, a you know, Nicholson and Streep and Keaton and Winslet. You know, they're on another level, that group. They just are. But they listen and they, and they help, you know. They go from movie to movie, from script to script, to director to director. And the really good ones, I think, even though they can sometimes fight you or whatever, they eventually want to, they want to give you what you want. They do. They're not there doing a, their own version of the movie. They know that I have to make this thing work. I have to cut this together. This has to hang together. And it's shot completely out of order. And the really good ones, like Jack, you know, he's got three by five cards with all the beats of the scenes, which is not even something I do. This is something he does. He breaks every scene down into beats. He's got those cards in his pocket and between takes. No, really, and he'll pull them out and he'll look at the beats and he's got them up on, in his trailer on a bulletin board. He knows the script backwards and forwards. Keaton's got it memorized at the first uh, table reading. Everyone else has their script out and she just like pretends to make not everybody else not feel bad, but she's actually has memorized the entire script. Um, they're prepared. Streep's really always extremely prepared. Uh, she's a very interesting person to watch. And working with her, it, it, she's, she's got just an enormous range, as you know, just enormous. So even if she starts some way and I prefer it to come a little this way, I mean, she can get there and she just, she can bring stuff that you couldn't come up with that she does on her own and then she can integrate your notes and just, she's wonderful and she can self direct sometimes so beautifully because sometimes I'll be watching a take and I'll think gee I wish it was. and the next take I won't say anything and the next take she does it she, she still also feel I could adjust that moment you know like she's just incredibly smart and Nicholson's like 
available. <laughs> you know what I mean? He's just so available. He loves close-ups. When you'd say we're going to go in for the close-up, he lights up. I mean, you think, are you kidding me? You're Jack Nicholson. You're still excited when we get to do a close-up of you? And he says, yes, I am. He puts his eye drops in, you know. He's really into it. He's a wonder to watch. He's scary. But, you know, that's because he's so damn famous, you know. When you first start to work with him, you just sort of are... You know, Meryl's the same way. And Diane was the same way when they first started. It was Annie Hall, for God's sakes. You know, it's like, they're, there they are. But, you know, that all goes away. It really, by the end of the day, it goes away almost. What good is it for me to not be honest with the actors? It doesn't help them. They're just going to be pissed at the end of the day if the movie doesn't work. You know, they read the script. They say they want to be in it. Um, I have to help get them there. I have to form this thing and, and make it work. And, and so whatever that piece of the puzzle is we're doing that day, often, not always, but some actors, I'm not referring to Jack, they're really looking at their part. Right. You know, I have to look at the whole movie and how this scene fits with the scene before and the scene that comes after it. And, and um, yeah, so that's my objective is, you know, so I, for me to be intimidated by them would just serve nobody. And we all work for the movie. That's how I see it. They don't work for me, I don't work for them. We work for the movie. I say I don't like directing, but the best part is when they're acting, truthfully. You know, once it's set up and it's lit and it's decorated and their wardrobe is done and all that crap is all done, and then they're performing. That's the fun. Miss Myers expressed her frustration that she seldom gets the time to rehearse with actors. So she found a creative solution to get some much-needed face time with her performers before production begins. There's never rehearsal on movies. No one's ever around. No one's ever around at the same time. On this movie, Alec was on 30 Rock right up till we started shooting. So I had Meryl and Steve for a day. I had Krasinski for a day. I never have anybody. On the holiday, no one was ever in town at the same time. So I rehearsed with every single one of the actors with me doing all the other parts. Like me and Jude, you know, it was like crazy. <laughs> me doing Cameron's part. and. Jack and me and I'm doing, it's crazy. We never had anybody. They're never around. I don't know anybody that gets a chance to rehearse anymore. Um, the first time you really spend time with the actors other than general early meetings is once they're hired. You, one of the first things you do is you have wardrobe fittings with them. And I think those wardrobe fittings are enormously valuable because you, they start trying on clothes, right? Like in this movie, for example, um, Meryl came to the first wardrobe fitting in a short wig. So I didn't say anything. <laughs> I see she's trying something out, you know, let her, that's her prerogative, let her see how she looks. She's trying to find her character, you know. And we tried on different things, nothing was working. The, what she wears in the opening scene of the movie is a white pair of pants and a white top. That came out of that fitting and we all agreed, that looks like Jane. Now we're getting somewhere, that looks like her. Well, why does that look like her? You know, so we start having this conversation. She came in the next day, the next fitting, another wig, different length, different color, different thing. We put the white outfit back on, you know, and she said, no, the hair's not right yet. And I said, no, I don't think so either. You know, we just, so we start building that way. My first wardrobe fitting with Jack for Something's Gotta Give was six hours. He tried on one pair of pants. <laughs> I'm not kidding. He tried on one pair of pants. He just sat there and he smoked and we talked about the character because he didn't understand why the guy's not in shorts and a Hawaiian shirt. 
He's at the beach. And, you know, that was kind of an interesting conversation. Why isn't he in just shorts and a Hawaiian shirt, you know? And so you get to talk about the guy's background and what the Hamptons means to him, and that's not really how people are dressing in the Hamptons. And you, know, and you just sort of build and build and build and build. So I, I find that time super valuable, and I have with everybody, everybody I've ever worked with. And then, you know, you just keep chatting. You just keep chatting. I've written them letters, phone calls, go up to their house. Just try to grab as much time with them as I can before we start shooting, because I think when you're shooting is not the time to say, where, where did she go to college? That is not the time. <laughs> we have too much work to do. So all that discussion, you know, comes before as much as possible. The opening scene of this movie, Meryl's uh, and Alec, it was the way they're dressed. I wanted the audience to think they look like a couple because yeah. when you go out as a couple, you tend to say, well, what are you, are you wearing a suit? Are you wearing a jacket? You know, you kind of, you want to look like you're going to the same place. So I dressed them, it, it kind of coordinated. So it, it's very subtle, but it's a detail that I like, you know, and then the new wife who's got some insane outfit on who looks completely <laughs> weird and doesn't look like she should be with anybody at that party, you know, <laughs> is with this husband who's in the nice navy jacket and khaki pants. And so wardrobe tells the story. The sets tell the story. I knew in Meryl's house, you know, I wanted one big room because I think she had this house that wasn't huge and she knocked down all the walls when she moved in there with her three kids after the divorce and as much as I tried to make the kitchen look bad it apparently looks beautiful <laughs> but if you stood in the set you would see because Meryl came in one day and she said could it look worse so we added water damage and you know the knobs are kind of like cracked and falling up but this didn't translate I didn't do close-ups of the water damage so it looked nice, but she really, for a woman who's a professional cook, she really had very little. But those discussions go on endlessly. You can tell you're watching a Nancy Myers film by the attention paid to costume and production design. She might not have the Avengers or a Decepticon in her films, but she still makes sure they're strikingly cinematic. The holiday is quite hard to make, uh, but very enjoyable. The girls were so lovely. They were like the two nicest people ever, but their schedules were such that uh, I had to do a lot of traveling and um, kind of repeat and go back to sets. I don't, usually once you're finished with a set, you get rid of it and you move on, but I shot with Kate and then I'd have to come back in two months and shoot there with Cameron and hold the sets. And it was difficult. It was just kind of a strenuous. And, and we went to England and we just hit snowstorm after snowstorm. And everybody kept saying, it never snows in England, you won't have any problem. <laughs> the studio would be calling and I'd say, it's snowing. <laughs> it's snowing. What do you want me to, I can't shoot. That was hard. But I mean, I see movies, you know, like war movies and explosions and things. And I, I mean, I think, you know, I shoot people in kitchens. So I don't know what I'm complaining about. So I don't know how they do it. <laughs> well, like in the holiday, you know, I had clear images that um, Cameron's house should have an incredible kitchen that's never been used, kind of cool colors. You know, it wasn't gonna, there was no color in there. It was not warm at all. When Kate moved in, we put red flowers around and we started to warm it up a little bit. And all that is predetermined and we don't, I don't arrive on the day and say, well, this would be good. Maybe we should have colored flowers here. I mean, that's in an email that they get three months before shooting. You know, I, I do think about those details. Um, you know, and something's gotta give. I drew the house. 
I drew the house, just not the details of every piece of the house, but I drew the layout of it all based on the scene when Jack comes out of his bedroom and she comes out of her bedroom. They meet and go into the kitchen. So the fact that the doorways weren't lined up still drives me crazy because in my drawing they were lined <laughs> up. But I knew in that house I wanted the desk in her bedroom because I wanted her to have given up on love and bed and work can be in the same room. You know, it's those kind of things that I think about. This attention to detail is what makes her movies stand out and why she is one of the most successful female directors of all time. We want to thank Nancy Myers for sharing her experiences with our students, and thanks to all of you for listening. This episode was based on the Q&A, moderated and produced by Toba Leiter. To watch the full interview or to see our other Q&As, check out our YouTube channel at youtube.com slash New York Film Academy. This episode was written by me, Eric Connor. Edited and mixed by Christian Hayden. Our creative director is David Andrew Nelson, who also produced this episode with Christian Hayden and myself. Executive produced by Toba Leiter, Jean Sherlock, and Dan Mackler. Special thanks to our events department, Saja Johnson, and the staff and crew who made this possible. To learn more about our programs, check us out at nyfa.edu. Be sure to subscribe on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. See you next time.